The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. All right, this is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. Suffering WV fans. All right. Hey, guys, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Voice of Motown Podcast. We're trying to get those numbers up, so we would greatly appreciate the support. Uh, let's jump right into it. The Mountaineers fell to Kansas State on senior night by the score of 48-31. to 31. This was Garrett Green's first start. The Wildcats were ranked 19th. It was Dante Stills and Bryce Ford Wheaton's last game in Morgantown. So there were a lot of things to be excited about. However, this game had a wild first quarter. That's all 47 total points. The West Virginia defense gave up 41 first half points. The Mountaineer offense couldn't get any consistency in the second half. And one of WVU's most reliable kickers in its program's history missed a field goal and two extra points. So the game ultimately ended in disappointment. What were your thoughts on the game? Yeah, it was definitely a wild ride. Um, I felt like, you know, for it being senior night, it was, um, you know, there really wasn't as much energy there in the stadium um, being there in person. Um, you know, definitely a lot of anxiousness between fans whenever, you know, there was a mistake made. There's definitely some fire Neil Brown chants going along. Uh, a lot of people shouting and yelling and, you know, kind of getting irritated, just fed up with everything, um, you know, and you know, the play on the field, I, I thought definitely had its ups and downs. I think, you know, Garrett Green had some good moments. He had some bad moments. Um, the defense, obviously, with just looking at the scoreboard, you know, the defense really didn't do much. And, you know, again, it was just a consistency thing um, where there were moments where you felt like WVU could stick in the game, figure out a way to um, have a chance to win at the end. And then there were other times where it felt like they didn't belong in the game. So, um, just kind of the stuff that we've seen from Neil Brown over the past four years or so, um, all kind of encapsulated in one game. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It feels like uh, it's just stuff fans are kind of getting numb to. But, um, I mean, let's try to talk about a little bit of positives. Let's talk about Garrett's first start. He had that bad interception early in the game, but uh, he bounced back. And you have to kind of expect some questionable decision and a quarterback's first start. So overall, I was pretty pleased. I think he, um, I actually think he can be a decent player because I, I still think he's going to get better as he gets older, whether that ends up being at West Virginia or with another team, just depending on how this offseason shakes out. I think his decision-making will improve with some more game reps. Um, overall, he finished with 221 yards, four touchdowns, um, and unfortunately, he had those two interceptions. He was sacked three times, which hurt his rushing stats, of course. But like I said, overall, I thought he did all right for his first start. Yeah, I, I did too. You know, I definitely think if he would get more reps, um, he would improve on a lot of the mistakes that we saw. And, you know, as we kind of speculated um, last week, you know, that what's he going to do whenever a team takes away his legs? And Kansas State did a really good job of, you know, taking that away. And if, you know, you looked at the defense Kansas State was running, they were keeping their safeties up pretty close to the line of scrimmage. 
Um, and they were really testing Garrett to beat him deep. And he did that several times. You know, the, the fact that he hit, you know, several deep passes, particularly to Sam James, um, was very encouraging. I mean, there's still the moments where, you know, he was maybe not necessarily making the right decision. But I think in terms of arm talent, you know, you could see that he has an arm that really plays up for the, the college game and can really make some electrifying plays out there. And you combine that with his legs, you know, he, he could become a, a really, really good player. Um, he might have the highest upside of any quarterback on the roster. Um, you know, maybe he's not as game ready as maybe someone like a, a Will Crowder or, or Nico Marchio could technically be in terms of, you know, just being able to go out there and run the offense. But in terms of being able to go out there and single-handedly run an offense by himself and just be a playmaker. I, I think that he's probably the best guy that we have at quarterback right now. And I would love to see him continue to get a start next week against Oklahoma state. And, you know, depending on what happens over the off season with JT Daniels and Nico and Will Crowder, um, you know, I, I would feel good about him potentially being the quarterback next year as well, depending on who the coach is and what system we bring in. Um, yeah. But overall, yeah, I, I was pretty pleased with what I saw a lot. Like I said, you know, I, I think navigating the pocket, he definitely struggled with, um, you know, some of those sacks weren't necessarily um, because of the offensive line. Um, but those are things that are correctable. You know, I didn't see a lot of things that were big red flags where you say you just can't play him. And again, like we said last week, I don't see, why he wasn't playing over Jared Deggie last year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it keeps going back to that. And, you know, everyone made the case that you couldn't throw him out there, but uh, I mean, obviously he improved a lot over this past year, but I think you can make the argument that you probably should have gave him opportunities. And honestly, prior to the Oklahoma game, I wasn't even sure he was good enough to be a power five quarterback. But over these past two games, he's kind of proven to me that, yeah, as he keeps getting better with the right system, he, he could be really successful depending on who he's playing for. Um, and, you know, just going back to the game, the penalties certainly didn't help him in this game either. Eight penalties for West Virginia. It only cost him 46 yards, but a lot of those penalties were just drive stallers. Um, look at that drive to start the second half. I believe they had like five, six penalties just on that drive alone. And that ended up resulting in zero points because of a missed field goal. The delay game penalty on the extra point, which seemed to just suck all the momentum away from WVU because Lake ended up missing the PAT. Um, you know, lots of penalties. Like I said, the yards didn't add up to a lot, but it just seemed like they were real drive killers. Um, but before we move on from Garrett, another thing I really liked was this press conference after the game. Um, he took responsibility for bad decisions, the pick six. He seemed very mature and just handled himself nicely, I thought. It, you know, if it looks like he's not going to play next year, which I would understand because you have Nico waiting there, um, I honestly hope he goes somewhere and just has a nice career someplace because just watching him in these past couple of games, I think he's too talented to just be a bench player his en entire college career. You know, like I always say, you only get one opportunity in college. Once your years are up, your career's done. And most of these kids don't go on to the pros. So um, I, I just wish him all the best, whether it's here or somewhere else. So, um, yeah, that's how I feel about Garrett Green. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think um, his answers were very encouraging to me. I mean, I felt like, you know, he's handled everything that he's went through from, you know, 
fans calling for him to play last year to, you know, JT Daniels coming in to, you know, kind of the, the tough love approach that Neil Brown has taken with him um, rightfully or wrongfully. So he's taken it in stride and been very professional about it, waited his turn, um, just kept on working. And, you know, it, it kind of showed in the press conference how he's willing to take accountability for things as well too, and admit his mistakes. And um, it, it's something that, you know, I don't think we've always seen from people in this program either. And I'm not just talking about players. I'm talking about, you know, the coaching staff who really doesn't necessarily take direct accountability for some of the things that happened in games. Um, and it's encouraging to see that that's not rubbing off on, on some players, especially guys, young guys like Garrett. Yeah. Uh, 100% with you. A couple other guys I want to highlight. Um, Jalen Anderson and Justin Johnson ran the ball very well. And those are two guys I hope we don't lose through the transfer portal once this offseason shakes out. Um, whether they're starters, whether they're backups, um, I just really hope WVU hangs on to those two guys because not only do I think one of them could be a starter, but you know if CJ comes back, if Tony comes back, they're very good complementary backs. And I just like the way they ran the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I like all everyone in our backfield right now. And it was great to see Jalen Anderson have some success in there and him actually getting some run. Um, he's a guy that we called for earlier in the season to, to see some more touches, especially when we were starting to get banged up in the backfield. And it feel, feels like they finally gave him an opportunity. And, you know, he's a different runner from, from uh, Justin Johnson. He's much more of a, it seems like a, a power speed combo. Um, he has a nice burst, but he's also able to lower his shoulder and, fight for extra yards. He is a bigger back. And, um, you know, it, I, he was a four-star coming out of high school. So was Justin Johnson. So we have a lot of talent back there. Um, you know, I think it's great to have that position. So kind of loaded, if you will. And I'm really hoping that, like you said, uh, these guys hang around because it's, it's a great opportunity for all of them. Um, you know, you don't necessarily need to be a bell cow back to get noticed to, to make it to the next level. And I think, you know, these guys splitting carries is just going to help them all out. He's going to keep them healthy. It's going to keep them fresh. Um, and it's going to, you know, allow the WVU and whoever the next head coach is um, to be a little bit more creative with how they want to call their offense. Cause when you have three or four really good backs, you can do some fun stuff. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You can run both of them out there, put one in motion, definitely opens up the playbook. Um and, you know, after a rough start, WVU had a chance to tie that game up with a pick six of their own. And then it just seemed like we went into classic Neil Brown. Um, you know, a player didn't run onto the field for a PAT. WVU has to take a delay a game. And then Casey Leg misses the extra point. Um, you know, his kicks have looked kind of off ever since Malshevich got hurt. And a holder isn't a position you think about a lot, but uh, it has been critical for Casey Lake's success. It seems like he missed a 44-yard field goal, and he was one for three on extra points on Saturday. So could all of this really be the holder's fault, or do you think there's more to it? I, I think it has to be on the holder. I mean, you know, I, I feel like the, the long snapper, holder, kicker relationship is all kind of equated to each other, and it's like a – it's like a perfect science where, you know, it comes down to timing. It comes down to, you know, where the ball's placed, how it's rotated, timing, all that other stuff. And the littlest change to that can really screw you up. I mean, the one thing that I always think of um, this year is um, I believe it was 
the first game of the season this year, the Steelers and Bengals, where the Bengals long snapper got hurt and their kicker missed um, three or four different field goals with the chance to win the game. Um, and it's just things like that. That's a professional kicker who last year was one of the best in the league, um, played in the Super Bowl last year. Um, and it was a big reason why they made it that far because of his clutch kicking. And just that one little small change, just whoever's snapping the ball, not even the person who's holding the ball, kit, you know, affected him that much where he wasn't able to make a kick. And, you know, moving from Malasevich, who's been holding all year and doing a fantastic job, to Colton McGee, who's a punter. And, you know, it's hard to say how much he's actually practiced um, holding the ball over the course of the season. Um, whenever you have someone like Malasevich, who's been so reliable. Um, and, it can just really throw things off. Um, last week, we didn't really notice that much um, because McGee was holding last week too and um, Leg made that game winner. But I don't know what changed this week that kind of, you know, maybe Leg was just a little late on things. Maybe he wasn't, maybe the cold got to him. Maybe it was the wind. It's hard to say, but um, definitely think you can chalk it up to not Casey Leg being bad, but more of just that group needing more repetitions together because that time, be down pat yeah i'm with you yeah it's so much about timing the snap and the kicker's already in motion the ball needs to be down um it, it does play a big role it's something you don't think about a lot i mean coming into that game leg was perfect on field goals and the only pat that they didn't uh you know get to count was a bobbled snap so i mean it wasn't a miss by leg it was just uh they didn't get the ball down so um yeah, uh, that 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 is kind of concerning, but we only got one more game left, but uh, it definitely played a role on Saturday. And then also the defense, man, the defense had a horrendous first half. They allowed 41 points and they only allowed seven in the second half, which I mean, Neil Brown always tries to put a positive spin on that. But, uh, you know, if you're allowing 48 points overall, then it doesn't really matter if you're if you're performing well in the second half, because overall you're just not doing enough to help your team win. It's just unacceptable. And uh, I'll give the defense credit. They had a decent stretch of good defense for the last, I don't know, about 10 quarters over these last couple games prior to Saturday, but they got absolutely torched against Kansas state. There's really no way to sugarcoat it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think Kansas state presents kind of a, a unique problem too, because they just, they spread the ball around on offense. Will Howard, um, you know, has a good arm. He's been really, really um, careful with the ball the past few weeks. And that early pick, I was really hoping would throw him off his rhythm that he's been in the past three weeks or so. It didn't. Um, and, you know, they were just playing well. Another factor that played a lot into it, too, was just, you know, WVU's defense didn't start off with great field position um, very often either because Knowles was – it seemed like returning the ball to the 35 or so almost every time we kicked it off into that, uh, kicked it off them. Grothaus even kicked one out of bounds. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just not helping your defense when you start out like that, but you know, you also have to be able to get off the field. You need to create some negative plays. And with someone like a, against like a deuce Vaughn, he's not going to get gobbled up in the backfield too often. Um, and, you know, Kansas state is just, a really reliable, consistent team who's not going to shoot itself in the foot. Um, There's a stat um, I heard, I think, on the way down to the game where they said Kansas State has the fewest turnovers in the Big 12 by a pretty big margin over the past 
um, four years or so, which was the Kleeman era. Um, and, you know, it, it makes sense because that's kind of Kansas State's brand. You know, you don't shoot yourself in the foot. Just go out there and play. And, you know, that's hard for a team like WVU where, um, you know, you, you're, you're really just hoping the other team make mistakes like Oklahoma did. I mean, how many passes did Mims drop behind the defense in that Oklahoma game? So, I mean, some of it's getting lucky, but you can't get lucky against a team like Kansas State who isn't going to shoot themselves in the foot and just has a lot of really good, solid, reliable players. And ultimately, that's what killed WVU. You know, they made the smart play. They made the right read. And they just got beat. So um, I wasn't necessarily expecting us to shut down Kansas State, but giving up 48 points um, was a little crazy. Obviously, you can give 14 of those points probably to the offense because of those two turnovers. But other than that, I mean, that's still 34 points, and that's a lot, um, especially you know when you say 27 of those were in the first half. Yeah, they're very disciplined. You, I mean, they've been that way for decades, all the way back to Snyder. And then it almost seems like Kleiman was uh, the perfect hire for them because he's just – he's almost like a modern-day Snyder at bat. His teams are very disciplined, but they seem, um, I don't know, even more innovative on offense. So it was just like the perfect hire, it seems like. But, yeah, the defense gave up way too many big plays. I, I You know, I think that's why they were playing – um, decent against Iowa State, Oklahoma, the second half of TCU. They were they were keeping those big plays to a minimum. But unfortunately, you know, K-State, they just went back to their old ways. And um, it's kind of sad because they kept Deuce Vaughn kind of under wraps as far as Deuce Vaughn goes. I mean, he was under 100 yards. Um, I'm not even sure if he got a catch that game. But they just got lit up in the passing game. And then the backup halfback, Giddens, um, you know, went for 49 yards for a touchdown. You mentioned Malik Knowles. He was not only good at wide receiver, but he was making so many good plays on special teams. It's just a bad, bad day for the defense and special teams. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, um, it was just a hard game for, for the team to, to match up with. And it also didn't help some of the coaching decisions that were made, especially at halftime um, or right before halftime where, Kansas State hit a field goal. Um, Neil Brown was calling timeouts, trying to get time to drive. Um, offense sputtered out, and Kansas State was able to get the ball back and kick another long field goal themselves. And what, you know, I want to give some kudos to um, Kansas State's kicker because he was actually kind of like, uh, I don't know if he was their punter or backup punter, but he had to step in the past few weeks to be the kicker. And um, he had never made a kick. I think the stat was over 40 yards so far. And he came out there and hit that 52 yarder in the wind, in the cold in Morgantown. Um, so very impressive by him because I wasn't expecting that kick to go in. We were safe when we um, not, uh, when we got Howard back, I think it was a five or six yard loss on that play. Um, I thought we were safe and we were going to go into halftime without them getting another three. And he came out there and drilled it. So kudos to him. Um, obviously I don't think we would have been in that situation if our coaches handled the final two minutes or so of the second quarter better, but you got to give credit where it's due. Yep. Can't agree more with you there. Um, some other, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry guys. If you haven't been able to tell, I got a cold and my voice is kind of shut, but trying to plow through this. Um, some other big news that happened on Saturday is uh, what are your thoughts on Charles Woods? Um, if you ask me disrespecting his teammates by announcing his transfer right before kickoff, on senior night 
seems like a disrespectful move. Um, I, I, I just think the timing's weird. You know, you can argue whether you're mad at Charles Woods for leaving or whether he has a reason to leave, but why not wait until after the game or after the season even? Because if you guys don't know how the new transfer window works, technically he can't leave until the season's over. Um, so, I mean, he's stuck here for a couple weeks. So why make that announcement just hours before senior night kickoff? Um, I thought that was very odd. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's probably the weirdest transfer situation that I've seen. Um, and I know we're kind of young in the transfer portal era, but I can't think of anything that comes close to this. Um, you know, he's he, he was really praised coming into the season, and it felt like the coaching staff was really trying to work with him to get him back on the field. Um, obviously, while also playing around whether he wanted to burn his potential medical redshirt this year, and come back next year or, or do things like that. And I mean, it seems like the coaches were trying to work around that um, because obviously we would love, we'd have loved to have him back if he was able to get that extra year of eligibility, but you know, to do that before senior night when you could have walked um, and then left um, or announced after the game, you know, I, I think that was, it's just really disrespectful. Like you said, and the fact that he did it right before the game, it felt like it was, he was kind of trying to send a message um, I'm not saying that's the right way to do it, but I'm trying to curious as to what that message is, you know, who upset him, you know, was he upset that WVU wasn't playing him? Was he upset that we were playing him? Um, maybe when he wasn't ready to come back. Um, and another kind of potential scenario too is, is he being tampered with? Um, because his tweet actually said commitment coming soon or commitment announcement coming soon, which to your point, you can't transfer until after, the season's over with. So who is talking to him? How are they talking to him? Um, what's the situation there? And is the NCAA going to do anything about it? Um, it's extremely strange. And, um, you know, it seems like it's becoming all too common under WVU. And, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's just because we're losing or if it's because we're kind of a, um, I don't know the right word to say it, but kind of a black swan in the Big 12 where we're kind of on an island and, you know, really don't have, you know, we recruit different areas and all the other big 12 schools, we exist in a different climate. So, um, and we also have to recruit pretty far away for a lot of our guys because we don't produce homegrown talent. Um, it was actually funny. We, I was at, um, I took my son and a few of his friends down to the game and they were asking, you know, why is West Virginia not as good as Ohio state? And it just comes down to resources, money, you know, being able to have that um, pool of talent close to home that you can really pull from. Um, Ohio State gets the best kids in Ohio, and the best kids in Ohio are some of the best in the country. If West Virginia gets the best kids from West Virginia. You're getting maybe the fourth, 400th and 500th best, play, best player in the country. So if that, if you're lucky. Um, so it just – it just is a bad situation for WVU, and I feel like we're being preyed on, um, especially because we're one of the poorest schools as well. And it, it's kind of worrying with kind of the situation that we're in as well. So um, I'm really hoping that there aren't more Charles's Woods, but, you know, it definitely seems like there's a lot going on behind the scenes that um, definitely isn't helping our program at all. Yeah, well, I definitely think winning has something to do with it. Obviously, that's not the cure-all, 
But I mean, that's been the story since day one. Winning does cure a lot of problems. Now, if we start winning, would that immediately stop all these transfers? No, but it would definitely slow them down. You wouldn't see as many, I don't think. Um, and I do think that's a big reason for it. Also, in the past four years, how many kids has WVU sent to the NFL? Not a lot. Not like in the Dana days or the Rich Rod days. And that might have something to do with it, too. A lot of these guys are trying to have a career in the NFL. And, you know, if you're not winning, if you're not seeing a NFL in your future at this program, I mean, it kind of all adds up after a while. And, and mm -hmm. that's why you see some starters leaving. Like we mentioned earlier with Garrett Green, I would not, you know, if if it's kind of announced that Nico is going to be starting next year or or JT, I wouldn't blame Garrett for leaving because he needs he needs to go play somewhere. But what's concerning is seeing these guys who are bona fide starters leaving. Like if Charles Woods came back next year, no one is questioning whether he would start or not. And so it's disappointing right. to lose guys like that. You know, I can get over a backup transferring who sees the field occasionally. But uh, these bona fide starters that keep leaving, it's definitely a red flag. And I don't know if the coaching staff has anything to do with it. Charles Woods was a weird situation because he played in four games. Maybe the coaching staff asked him to play in these last few because obviously they're they're playing for their jobs. You know, they don't they don't have next year, possibly. So maybe they wanted Charles to play. And maybe Charles, who obviously has NFL aspirations, said, you know, I kind of want to come back healthy next year and put a full year on tape for scouts to see. And um, who knows? Who knows what's going on behind the scenes? Yeah, it's really, you know, concerning. And then, you know, after the game, um, we saw speculation that C.J. Donaldson might be entering the transfer portal as well, um, removing all mentions of WVU on his social media pages, which, you know, can or cannot be a a, a sign that someone's willing to leave. And you know, that's another guy who obviously was basically the starter, um, took over that job with very limited reps and experience at the position and really excelled before the injuries. And, you know, that that one is really frustrating to me as well. Obviously, you know, Charles Woods um, is kind of on the clock to get more tape out there for um, scouts to see him. But, you know, someone like CJ Donaldson, who is a red, who is a true freshman, um, has at least two more years before he could, you know, go pro, um, has plenty of time to um, come back and really make a name for himself, put the tape out there and, you know, get noticed by NFL scouts if they weren't already taking notice after his early season. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation that, you know, Miami might be knocking at the door and other schools. And I, I think that's kind of the problem that, you know, we're seeing right now with college athletics is, you know, there's, you know, players like WVU who take under-recruited guys like a C.J. Donaldson or even Charles Woods, for example, a guy who kind of flew under the radar um, and was a transfer from a smaller FCS school to come here um, and really kind of blow up. And other schools are taking advantage of that and saying, oh, well, we missed you, but we want you now. And that's not good for a program like us. Now, if, you know, we're winning, does that change anything? I don't know. Um, but you know, for someone like a CJ Donaldson, would going back home close to Miami be good for him? I mean, Miami's kind of a train wreck on their own, but um, 
you know, it, it's really frustrating as a fan to see situations like this pop up and um, over and over and over again, it's kind of the same culprits. So um, what are your thoughts on CJ dot the CJ Donaldson rumors and um, the whole kind of teams picking up on our uncovered gems and trying to poach them away from us? Yeah, well, I just want to make it clear to all the listeners. CJ has not made any announcements. Like Brandon said, he he took some WVU-related content off his social media, really all of it. But then shortly after, he put it all back on, after there were some rumors circulating <laughs> on social media. So, um, you know, it might seem like we're overblowing the situation since we don't know whether he's leaving or not. But this is exactly what players do before they transfer. They take off all their content at their current school. Uh, we've seen it several times since this transfer rule has changed. So um, who knows? I mean, fortunately for us, like we said, he put it all back on. Maybe he is staying. Maybe that was just some mistake. Um, but it's definitely worth keeping an eye on seeing that. And you're right. I mean, Miami seems to be the the team that is taking a lot of these guys away from Morgantown. And that's where CJ's from. So um you know, it's definitely concerning, but um, you asked, what are my thoughts on teams doing that? I mean, let's not act like the NCAA has always had good morals prior to this transfer rule. I mean, it, it, this is just how it is. I mean, if you can take good players away from schools that don't maybe have as big a name, uh, you're going to do it. And I'm not sitting here saying I like Miami and what they're doing is right, but uh it's just the way college athletics have been for a long time. So I'm not going to sit here and, and get red in the face about it. It's just how it works. Yeah. I mean, to, to me, I, I feel like it's fine if a player wants to transfer due to the situation. Um, I, I like the, the graduate transfer rule. I thought that was, you know, I think a good move to give players an extra year of eligibility and also help further their education. Um, what I really have a problem with is players recruiting or not players, but coaches recruiting players who are currently on other teams um, during the season or even while they're just even on the team. I mean, um, you know, I think of, you know, the NBA and the NFL, like things like that, you know, people want to say the transfer portal is free agency for college athletes. Um, if it's free agency, you know, then there shouldn't be tampering. And that would be like if the Baltimore Ravens called up TJ Watt when he was on the last year of his deal and said, Hey, come sign with us after the season's over with, we're going to give you, you know, $30 million a year to come play with us while he's still under contract with the other team. And, you know, I, I know we don't value and see, we don't really highly uh, set the bar high for the NCAA's moral value and kind of how they think those things should be run, but that should be something that, you know, if you want to empower players, you know, and prepare them for the next level. You can't just have them doing these backdoor deals and all this other stuff. That's, you know, not good for them. Um, it's not good for other people when these schools with these big NIL pools and big donor pools aren't necessarily out there for what's best for the player. They're what's out there for the best of the program. You know, one guy that I think of is Tyke Smith, who was, you know, basically a lock to be um, drafted by the NFL in the first three rounds after his, if he would have stayed, um, after his junior year, had he stayed at WVU another year and left um, just a year early. Instead, he chose to transfer to Georgia, and now he's buried on the depth chart and hasn't really played much. Um, you know, another guy is Dreshawn Miller, who was a starting cornerback when he was getting some late-round NFL buzz after his junior year. 
And he went to Auburn and left the team and had to walk on at NC State. You know, and those were guys who were starting and in really good situations at WBU, and they had a chance to make it to the league. And now they're kind of grasping at straws because, you know, they went to another school who maybe promised them a little bit more than what WBU could promise them in terms of money. And they're sacrificing millions of dollars that they could potentially have at the next level because these people were getting in these young players' ears when they were potentially probably still on WBU's roster. And it's kind of the same situation as Charles Woods and CJ Donaldson. So, you know, maybe selfishly I'm saying this because, you know, I want to see great WVU players and starters stick with the team. If a backup transfers, I get it. But, you know, also because it's not good for the players. You know, these other guys, are, they're just going to over-recruit the position if they need a hole there. And if the guy doesn't end up working out and you're giving him 100 grand, it's only 100 grand where, you know, at WVU, it's a little bit more than that. And, um, you know, I really wish the NCAA would come down and make a rule and really make an example out of someone. And I feel like Miami is the big name, at least for West Virginia, in terms of this tampering. And, you know, I, I would be all for the, um, the the death penalty, so to speak, the, the SMU treatment of Miami of this. Now, partially, again, because I'm a WVU fan and I don't like the Hurricanes, but also because if you set an example with someone, it might change things a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a scumbag move, and uh, without a doubt, I mean, the, these adults are preying on these, I mean, I guess you, they're considered young adults. I mean, they're 18, 20-year-olds, but I mean, these are guys who, if you just flash a little bit of money in front of them, I mean, it's probably more money than they've ever even dreamed of at such a young age, and so uh, it's very easy to manipulate them and lure them to your to your school. Um, and like you said, it's not working out for some of these kids. It's really derailing their, their football careers. And, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, the NCAA is the only one who can stop it. I mean, we can sit here and complain all we want, but until they start putting, I know they just made some, uh, rules to it and regulations recently, but, um, I mean, it doesn't seem like they're enforcing them. It doesn't seem like they're strict enough because, it, I mean, it's still just going on the same as it was before. So um, I feel like that transfer rule has been in long enough that the NCAA should have a handle on it, and they just simply don't. Yeah. Yeah, and again, you know, I don't mind the one-year free transfer rule. I think that's fair in, the, in, in an environment where coaches can move from school to school as much as they want, um, you know, and even giving them extra, you know, transfers if – their coaches are leaving or their recruiters are leaving or, or, you know, things like that, you know, cause it's about relationships, but the backdoor deals are what I'm most concerned with. And that's, you know, I, I feel like schools are taking step by step, seeing how far they can push it. And they're going to push it as far as they can go up until, you know, you're seeing ESPN ticker headlines on the bottom of the screen saying Alabama has offered um, West Virginia wide receiver, Caden Prather, a three-year, $200,000 a year contract to come play for the Crimson Tide. Um, and NCAA, NCAA probably still wouldn't do anything, but that's kind of the path we're going towards. And now, obviously, that's the way the NCAA is going towards with everything, the super conferences, these mismatches of conferences that make absolutely no sense ge geograph geographically, um, the amount of money that's being thrown at college athletics in spite of traditional rivalries. Um, it's all about money. And you know, it, we might only be a decade away from where it is truly, you know, one year scholarships for players on teams and basically NIL free agency for 
your top players. So um, if that happens, I, I don't know what I would do as a fan because I love the tradition and the familiarity that you get with those four or five years with a player on your school. And, you know, if I just want to watch a, a, a league where there's free agency and player movement, I'll just watch the NFL because it's a better product. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. And to kind of just wrap up all of this, you know, players coming and going, Rodney Gallagher announced he'll be visiting Penn State again on social media. So, um, you know, if we lose Rodney, the excuse of we need to keep Neil and bring him back to keep these recruits, um, that's out the window. Because, I mean, if you lose your top recruit, um, I, I got a feeling some other big recruits will follow. So, um, you know, there's literally just no reason to hang on to Neil at all at this point, even though there's very little chance he's coming back regardless. Um, you know, with Rodney kind of teasing going to Penn State instead of WVU now, um, let, let's just get him out of here and let's get an AD in here so we can start the process of rebuilding. Yeah, and th this is the problem with starting the process so late, you know. I mean, you're probably not going to have a head coach now regardless, but you might have a better foundation if you fired Shane Lyons and, and Neil Brown earlier in the season or even, you know, after the Kansas game or even if you want to go a little bit later after the Texas game or something like that. But, you know, right now we're just trying to race through so many different things in order to get things done, and I think there's a lot of uncertainty around that. Um, we've already seen, um, I believe, two players decommit. Rodney's obvi obviously sniffing around other places. Um, you know, some of our highest recruits are looking elsewhere. And, you know, even if you want to say bringing back Neil will keep those guys, Neil hasn't been able to win with those type of guys either. So it's not really worth keeping it, even if you are going to lose all those players. Um, on top of that, you're also potentially going to face a huge swath of transfers that comes out that had a good relationship with Neil or other coaches that aren't going to be retained. Um, and it, it's kind of worrying. I mean, right now our defense is really depleted. I mean, the starters that we have are seniors, with the exceptions of maybe two or three guys. On offense, I mean, we're losing a couple off at quality offensive linemen. The good thing up there is that most of our offensive linemen are West Virginia natives, so hopefully they would stick around. But when you look at the skill positions, I mean, Caden Prather was injured um in the kansas state game now if it was an injury or if it was a injury um aka i'm transferring injury um, i'm pretty sure he had a concussion like i thought that at first too and i dug a little mm -hmm. deeper and i'm almost 100 sure he was in concussion protocol but um i'm not gonna lie i had the same thought when i first saw that interesting well that's good to know i'm really hoping that he sticks around because i was uh the point that i was getting to is that you know when you're interviewing head coaches to come here, obviously you have the transfer portal that you can pull players from, but there has to be mutual interest. And I feel like if you have someone who might be more um, ready to come in and take over a program like WVU and get them winning, you have to have some sort of foundation. And with the players that we're losing, with the potential players we could be losing the transfers, um, you know, it sounded like Sam James who could have came back next year. Um, probably played his last home game as a Mountaineer. Um, I think, I don't know if Bryce Ford Wheaton has another year or not, but I have a hard time thinking that he would be back. Um, you know, you have the questions at quarterback, you have questions with CJ Donaldson and, you know, that loaded running back room are all four backs going to stay. Are we going to lose half of them? Um, 
you know, I was joking earlier today in uh, a, a group chat that we have with, with Brad that we're going to be running, you know, uh, an Army Air Force style offense, you know, triple option, wing T, um, you know, and, you know, someone out there wished for an offense built around a running quarterback and they're going to get their wish because we're not going to have any other skill positions. So um, it's a really concerning point um, that we're at right now. And, and, you know, as a WVU fan and obviously as someone who, talks about them for over an hour a week. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it, it feels like this is rock bottom for WVU. I, I can't think of a time um, during my lifetime uh, of 34 years that the team has been anywhere close to the situation, especially in an environment where things are moving really fast um, forward for a lot of different things um, when it comes to conferences and NIL and all this other stuff. And WVU needs to get on the ball so that we don't fall behind because other teams are making moves and you can't be fumbling and making mistakes right now at this junction of the uh, NCAA. Yeah. I I mean, the attendance last Saturday was 37,000, the lowest since 2013 when Iowa state was in Morgantown. And that reportedly had around 32,000, which I believe, because if you remember, we were there. Our buddy ran mm-hmm. on the football field that game. <laughs> Shout out Jake Lynch. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that's all that needs to be said. You know, when's the last time a ranked team came to Morgantown and nobody showed up to watch? Um, fans are just checking out. You know, here's the biggest thing Neil Brown has robbed West Virginia fans of, and that's hope. You know, the hope of a successful season, the hope of knocking off a big ranked team, the hope of being even ranked ourselves in the top 25. Um, I just feel like all West Virginia fans don't even have that thought anymore. Like the hope of even winning Saturday, most fans didn't even think it was possible. Whereas, you know, previous head coaches, even on down years, you always thought, well, hey, maybe we'll knock off this big team and ruin their season. Um, the hope's just gone, it feels like. For the first time um, in, in our lifetime, we have back-to-back losing seasons. It's been 43 years since that's happened. West Virginia has finished with a losing record only three times between 1999 and 2018. And we're about to have our third losing season in four years under Neil Brown. And so, the first uh, one was that? Rich Rod, the first one was Rich Rod's first year too, right? Right. And then Dana had one and uh, Nealon only had three in his entire career here. So, you know, I think it's safe to say Neil isn't getting an extra year. But here's the thing. If the new AD doesn't get hired until January, which is what some people are saying, it's going to be right around the beginning of January, uh, maybe a little before then, you know, some of the better options out there may have already been picked over. And we might just end up with another guy whose ceiling is six or seven wins. So, I mean, I don't know. I I think you nailed it. It's concerning. Yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about fans not having hope um, for this season and getting knocked off. I, I, I'm, you know, concerned about next year and the year after. And, you know, how long is this rebuild going to take? Because, you know, like you said, if we're dragging out this AD search too long, obviously that's an important piece to get right. Um, but it's not as crucial as getting the right guy in at, you know, head coach, head football coach, because the AD, you just need someone who's, you know, kind of does what the opposite of Shane Lyons did. And that's can play nice with donors 
can hire the right people, can admit when they're wrong. You know, it's a pretty low bar I think you have to clear. Just don't be a bumbling idiot. And, you know, get someone in, someone that you can trust. Um, you know, obviously the donors, I think, are, are going to have a lot of pull in this situation. They're going to want to get someone who they get along with, who they feel comfortable donating money to. Um, and it seems like that was the big reason why they wanted Shane Lyons out is the big donors just were done with him. They, they, you know, they looked at the numbers or people were stopped donating. They distanced themselves from the program. Um, they never came out and said who some of the big donors were that stopped donating, but, or reduced their donations. But I mean, for a school, the size of WVU, if you have any sizable donators, do, um, people stop donating or reduce the amount that they're donating. That's a bad sign because we don't have, you know, the alumni base of like an Ohio state or a Texas or a USC where all these people are out there making millions of money, millions of dollars. That's a pretty small pool to pull from. So um, I'm really hoping we're able to go out there and get a quality head coach candidate because we need it. And, you know, I'm hoping that a two or three year rebuild doesn't turn into something that could drag on for the better part of a decade. Yeah. And speaking of Shane Lyons, he already found a new job with Alabama. Um, and, and, you know, all the info came out on his buyout as well. He's going to get paid $2.1 million in his buyout. And, um, you know, Alabama already hired him to be the executive deputy director of athletics. Um, and if you look, his job at Alabama prior to WVU was deputy director of athletics. So it makes sense that they would give him that job that's just right underneath that position. And let's be honest, you know, the NCAA jobs are based largely on who you know and and having connections. So um, I saw some fans online are claiming that WVU must have made a mistake by letting Lions go because, you know, why would Alabama hire him so quickly then? Well, like we just said, you know, Shane, without a doubt, still has connections down there at Alabama. So it shouldn't be a surprise that he landed job there. I'm, I'm still fine with West Virginia letting him go. Um, my favorite part about him being hired back at uh, Alabama is that, you know, his his uh, the acronym for his position is executive dad, deputy athletic director. I think that's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> but anyways, um, you know, I, I think, you know, there, there are things that Shane's good at where, you know, he did a lot at WVU when it came to building up facilities and doing things like that. And when he was at Alabama before, he was in charge of budgeting and resource allocation. And it feels like that's probably something he's good at, um, kind of the operations side of things. But when it comes to the, you know, collecting money, encouraging people to donate, building relationships, you know, we've heard through the grapevine that he isn't a very personable person. He's kind of arrogant when it comes to things. So having him be the face of your athletic department probably isn't going to work out. But when it comes to someone you want behind the scenes handling things, you know, I think he'd be, he's good at that. And he's proven that he's been good at that. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that Shane is a completely incompetent person to have in your athletic department. He's just good at certain things and not good at others. And the things that he wasn't good at are the things that you need in your athletic department uh, as your athletic department head. Um, and Al Alabama, he doesn't have to do those things. You know, he just gets to do what he's good at. Um, and, you know, he landed on his feet. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. And another thing you always heard about him is he was really, really concerned, almost to the point where, you know, people were worried he wasn't 
concerned enough about his own school with being on all these committees, like playoff committees mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. And so, of course, Alabama would want a guy like that in their corner who, again, has connections with all these committees that are very important to a team like Bama, which is in the playoffs every year. Absolutely. Yeah, um, but moving on from all of this, WVU takes on Oklahoma State at noon this Saturday. After finishing the season five or starting the season five and zero, oh, the Cowboys have gone two and four in their last six games. Oklahoma State still has something to play for, though. This will be their senior night, and with seven wins, they of course are going to a bowl game. So they'll be looking to improve their bowl position with a victory. And then on the other side, you have West Virginia. They're trying to send seniors like Dante Stills, Bryce Ford Wheaton out as winners. And the coaching staff is possibly, you know, trying to audition for their next team because they probably want to get hired from someone else next year. So what are your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I mean, I think Oklahoma State isn't as good as I thought they would be. Their defense has been just flat out atrocious this year. Um, which is kind of surprising for a Mike Gundy coach team. Um, Normally his defense is even after losing a lot of players are usually pretty solid, but you know, they are allowing 32.1 points per game, 473 yards per game. Um, And their offense is okay. I mean, it's, it's above average. I would say it's not good. It's not great. Um, But you know, I think the combination here is, you know, they really have, um, a lot of holes in their team. And it's a team that I think WVU in a normal year probably would match up pretty well against. But the thing that I think really hurts WVU is that um, Oklahoma state only has one road win and they're undefeated at home and WVU going into Stillwater. That's a place that Oklahoma state feels comfortable in. And um, you know, right now with questions around WVU's head coach with no bowl eligibility on the line. And really, this isn't a game that really means a ton for Oklahoma State. So, you know, playing spoiler really isn't in the cards either. Um, This feels like a game that Oklahoma State should win pretty easily. Yeah, Vegas thinks so as well. They're like nine and a half point favorites, I think I saw. It's nine or nine and a half. So, yeah, I mean, it's a big spread. Um, To your point, though, like you said, Oklahoma State's defense isn't quite as scary as we're used to seeing them. They're allowing over 30 points a game, but make no doubt about it. If West Virginia doesn't play disciplined football, which they have problems doing, um, you know, Mike Gundy's defense will definitely feast off those mistakes. But like you said, um, you know, the Cowboys offense isn't that good. We mentioned it earlier. They're six and four in their last six games. And Spencer Sanders has vastly underperformed in those games. Seven of his nine interceptions were in those games. And he's only completed 53% of his passes in those six games. So, I mean, WVU needs to force mistakes and not let Sanders get in a groove. And they can probably keep it low scoring and give themselves a chance. Um, Their leading back, Richardson, has been banged up a lot as of late. He didn't even play last week. And as of tonight, Monday night, um, I'm not sure what his official status is. I couldn't find it. I'm sure they'll announce it tomorrow. But uh, if he can't go, that'll certainly favor the Mountaineers because their next leading rusher is Spencer Sanders and all their other backs have under 200 yards on the season. So they don't really have anyone else to really rely on. And uh, their offense is only averaging 12 points in these last four games. Um, And so it is a game the Mountaineers could win, but um, 
like I keep posting online when people talk about um, whether we're going to win next week or not. Four wins, five wins, who cares? I mean, it, it, no matter what, it's a disappointing season. Don't get me wrong. I'll be watching. I'll be rooting for him to win. But uh, even if we win, it, I don't think it's anything to get real jazzed up about. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, kind of looking at what the the key for Oklahoma State's offense is, is obviously, you know, we've highlighted Spencer Sanders, but it's how he performs in the game. Whenever he performs well, they win. When he doesn't, they lose. And it's really that cut and dry. Um, they have not won a game this year where he is held either under 250 passing yards or where he throws more than one interception. They've won every other game. So, I mean, I don't know when we've had a quarterback who had a hard time hitting 250 against our defense. So, I mean, it just kind of points to if Spencer Sanders can take care of the ball, this should be, you know, a pretty comfortable win for Oklahoma state. Um, You know, and if we start looking at their defense, while they're not necessarily a great defense, um, they do have some weapons. They have um, five guys right now with three or more sacks. You know, this is an aggressive kind of havoc, havoc causing Mike Gundy, Mike Gundy defense where they're going to get after the quarterback, their interior defensive linemen aren't great, but they have guys who can get after the quarterback. They're going to, you know, make you kind of look at different things and they're going to try to force interceptions. And the guy who's going to be trying to get interceptions on that defense is Jason Taylor, who is their safety right now. And he has five picks, but um, yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily a matchup that really favors WVU in too many ways right now. Well, another interesting thing is, and might make people want to watch the game more, is I'm sure this will be announced tomorrow um, at Neil Brown's press conference. But who's he going to start? Is he going to go back mm-hmm. to JT? Is he going to let Garrett keep growing? Or is he going to give Nico a run? Because, I don't know, it's kind of weird to where Neil Brown's head is. Because I'm sure in the back, he's been told whether he's coming back or not, would be my guess. and. um you know, if he's coming back, I would definitely favor him starting Nico. But if he's just, if he thinks he's still playing for his job, I mean, I don't know. Who do you think he rolls with? I mean, I, I would think that you have to go Garrett Green. Or if you want to go with anyone else, I would go with Will Crowder. I think it's a tough situation to throw Nico in um, right off the bat. It's, on the, it's a road game. And if things go poorly... I mean, against a team who's aggressive like Oklahoma State is on defense, you know, that that kind of sends the wrong message as well. It's a really risky play to just throw Nico out there, even though he may, you know, he has the opportunity to go out there and potentially have a good game. But I think there's too many factors that are against WVU. You don't know which players are engaged, which players are going to go out there and feel motivated to go 110%. Um, and that's especially important on offense where if you're the quarterback, you're reliant on the other players around you giving it their all every play. You don't want to have an offensive lineman who is just kind of going through the motions. You don't want a receiver who's not working to get open. Um, all those things are just going to hurt Nico. So um, I think the safest choice is to go Garrett green, get another, you know, game in, un, under your belt to see, you know, what you really have, if he's going to grow, if he's going to learn from his mistakes and, you know, obviously will Crowder, it wouldn't hurt to see him either. Um, I don't think I would play JT Daniels right now. I think you let him recover, get back 
you know, to hundred percent, which I, I do expect he's banged up and, you know, let the next coach kind of figure out, do I want JT Daniels or do I want to stick with one of these other three guys? Um, you know, I don't think Neil really, you know, I don't necessarily know if he's been told behind the scenes that he's gone because I know the assistant athletic director has said that, um, he's not going to be making the call. Um, he's going to leave it up to whoever the new AD is. Um, and I'm sure that's what Neil's being told as well, but I'm also sure that Neil knows that the likelihood that he's retained by a new AD is very unlikely. And unless they're hiring an AD with the purpose of telling him that you have to keep Neil, I I would say it's less than a 3% chance that Neil was our head coach next year. So, um, you know, what's best for Neil probably sticking with Garrett green. Um, what's worst for Neil, I would say playing Nico because, you know, if he would get hurt and you're kind of throwing a freshman quarterback out there to the wolves on the road, um, that can hurt your reputation too, as a recruiter. So that's just my thoughts. Yeah. I mean, no offense to JT, but I don't see any reason to, to play him at all in this game. I hope he gives Garrett green another start, give him a bigger sample size to really see what you got in him. And then if the game gets ugly, put Crowder Nico in and, maybe give them a few reps and get some game film of with those guys. Um, that's why I hope he does. I don't know. We'll find out more tomorrow in the press mm-hmm. conference. Um, but moving on to basketball to wrap this up, West Virginia basketball is coming off a um, couple impressive victories over Moorhead state and Penn, but they have their first big test and that'll be on Thursday night against Purdue who is three and Oh, Definitely excited to see the Mountaineers get tested. The only bad thing is the game starts at 10 o'clock at night on Thanksgiving night. So you better get those naps in early, folks. Um, what are your thoughts on this game? It's going to be really interesting, um, especially because Purdue is notorious for having really tough interior players. And they have one this year in Zach Eady, who's been there, I feel like, for six or seven years now, even though I'm sure that's not true. But he is a legit seven, three, seven, four, um, big man who has been dominant throughout his, his career at Purdue. Um, and it's going to be an interesting matchup to see how, you know, Bob Huggins, new big men, um, bell, what waggy, I always want to pr- mispronounce his names, a conquo, et cetera, are able to match up with someone who, you know, you're probably not going to see in our big 12 play, but someone who is skilled, and dominant enough down there to see how you're going to handle them and how they're going to handle someone who's that big and physical. So that's what I want to see the most um, because it's been encouraging to see these new big men play really well against smaller, less skilled teams. But how are we going to do against the inside presence? Yeah, that's exactly it too. I, I can't wait to see them get challenged and see how they respond. Um, the game is in Oregon. If some of you are wondering why it's so late, that's why the game's in Oregon. It's the Phil Knight legacy tournament. And another interesting thing is if WVU wins the game, they will take on Gonzaga, which would be fun since Huggins gave them some bulletin board material earlier in the season, um, saying that they would have a hard time in the big 12. Although Texas might have proved them right when uh, Gonzaga and Texas first each other. But um, you know, that's a, that's a tough travel, but I think WVU's performance in that tournament will really let us know if this team's for real or not, or 
you know, and even if they perform badly, maybe they just need a little bit more time to gel before Big 12 play. Because keep in mind, I mean, a lot of these guys are playing with each other for the first time. So, um, you know, it's the matchup we've been waiting for because West Virginia is making easy work of these first four opponents. Yeah, you know, kind of as a side, I'm really um, excited. And I think it's really cool that we got invited to the Phil Knight tournament because normally, you know, the the in-season tournaments that we play in have like, you know, some directional school in it. And, you know, maybe you play a good team when you get to the finals. But, you know, having a, a plane in the Phil Knight uh, tournament is, you know, we just talked about it, Purdue, Gonzaga. I mean, there's some big names in it. So um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a real challenge, especially when our non-conference schedule is, isn't super great this year. Um, it's much more of a kind of button things up sort of schedule, which, you know, I think is probably best for the team, but um, we also get sprinkled in little challenges like this here. And I really hope that we can beat Purdue because it would be fun to see how, you know, this team who Bob seems to enjoy coaching, who is really confident in can match up against the team who's really skilled in Gonzaga and what type of success these guys can have against the team that's much more skilled and um, filled with higher rated recruits than WVU. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. And uh, that's it for us, guys. My voice is kind of shot. Sorry if it was too nasally. Hopefully I'm 100% next week and, uh, you know, I'll be bearable to listen to. But as always, thanks for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. We really appreciate you guys getting those numbers up. and. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, and happy Thanksgiving.